0: Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek, but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields, all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there, and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes and as always subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcasts. Welcome to the crazy wisdom podcast. My guest today is Paul Lambert. He is the founder and CEO at Quilt. So welcome to the show, Paul.
1: Thank you. Excited to be here. What's a quick rundown on what Quilt is? So Quilt is the first product we bring to market is a heating and cooling system for the home. What's important about it is that it's all electric, so it displaces fossil fuels in the home, which most people don't realize, but is a massive contributor to global warming. In fact, home energy use contributes more emissions than vehicles. So if you actually look at the two places consumers buy fuel, which is in their car, they put gas in their car, and in their house, they put gas in their furnace. The home is actually a larger one. And just think about how big EVs are. So we're you know trying to build the world's greatest HVAC system. And, the, and the, our, our big idea, which maybe isn't that unique or that big of an idea, but is that um, it needs to be really good because consumers and homeowners don't want to make compromises. And we're not going to succeed in the energy transition by making products that ask people to compromise their lifestyle or their quality of life. We're trying to build a system that just feels like an upgrade, no matter what you're coming from, whether it's like a nest in a furnace or you're coming from a different kind of heat pump or whatever it is, you're going to get knit quilt. You're going to feel like, oh, this is nice. That's, that's our idea. Is let's just create a, a kick-ass product and then people go and want to bring it into their life. And all the positive benefits for society and the climate will almost be a side effect.
0: Very interesting. Uh, I am in this situation. I'm probably one of your ideal customers because I'm currently in Buenos Aires, but I have a house back in California. uh, And that house, my HVAC system is 25 to 30 years old. And it's uh, getting past its replacement date. And uh, my roof caved in because of the crazy snowstorms last winter. And so I've got insurance. So so hopefully it's going to cover the roof. But I feel like I should take the advantage of the roof getting replaced in order to install a new HVAC system. And one of my friends on Twitter, he, he who actually is a previous guest on this podcast as well. He, he talks a lot about heat pumps. And so for me, as this consumer who's interested in buying an HVAC system, why, what is a heat pump and how is it better than per, traditional HVAC systems?
1: Yeah, sure. I, the, to get to the chase, you should definitely get a heat pump and and every basically everybody everybody I was going to say in America but really it's globally where there's powered heating or cooling. I mean cooling is already a form of heat pump. So I'll actually answer your question and then I'll do it in the general about heat pumps cuz that's what you asked versus say quilt specific. A heat pump at the end of the day is actually not a very new idea. It's basically the name uh, the general name given to the refrigeration cycle that you'll find today in your fridge in an, any air conditioner you've ever used. But the the big idea about these things is that you don't need to create energy because there's energy all around us you you just need to be able to move it between different places so if you've ever stood behind a fridge you know it's warm the reason is because the way a fridge works is it moves the energy from inside the fridge to the outside of the fridge so the inside is cold and the outside is warm if you ever stood outside an ac like window ac same thing happens it's actually blowing hot air out into the environment and then on the other side is the counterbalancing cool air inside the home so now imagine you took that window ac And you rotated it 180 degrees. Now, what you're doing is blowing warm air into the home and you're blowing cold air into the outside and the heat. I, so that's from a physics perspective, what a heat pump is from a more sort of marketing branding perspective, this name has been re rediscovered to now talk about essentially an AC that can run in two directions. So it's a machine that when it's running and cooling is effectively at the basics level, no different than any AC ever used. But if you reverse the cycle, so it's the same thing in fixed in place. It's just a valve. It's literally called a reversing valve. Trigger that, and now it starts to run backward, and it will warm your home. And it's really crazy. It took us this long to get to this because what ends up happening is you get insane levels of efficiency. So heat pumps can be 400 percent or more efficient, and that sounds like it breaks the laws of physics. It doesn't because you're not converting the electricity into the energy. You are. Simply moving the heat that already exists. Mm. The way that you get the 400% efficiency is you say put 100 watts of energy into the machine and you get 400 watts of heat in the home. But that 100 watts has not actually been converted into heat. It's actually being consumed by a compressor and that compressor circulates a refrigeration fluid and it effectively picks up energy outdoors and then circles it indoors and dumps it. Mm. It's also used a little bit for the fan. So the, basically the two consumers, of electricity in the machine are the compressor and the fan. And I can go on about how that actually works, but it's magical. And the really big point of it is that it's so efficient that it's cheaper operationally for almost everybody today, even though like on-site natural gas is going to be cheaper for the homeowner per joule of electricity or sorry, per joule of energy than electricity. But because the heat pump is so much more efficient than a furnace, you switch sources, you switch from natural gas to electricity and you still save money. So it's one of the very few categories where the green premium is negative, like the cl- doing the clean thing is actually going to save money over the the traditional system, which is now to quickly bring it back to Quilt, why we thought it was such a perfect platform to do the strategy I talked about, which is it's already better on economic levels. So we just need to bring it be- make it better on all the other dimensions that people care about, how it's purchased, what it looks like, how you use it. And stuff.
0: Interesting. <laughs> And we can talk a lot about the specifics of the startup environment that you've entered, which is hardware and hardware is always a crazy beast in terms of, in terms of building out a consumer product. I would love to talk about kind of the obstacles you guys have faced and maybe the solutions that you've come up with as well. But I want to drill down a little bit into this. So you've got 400% efficiency. The real thing is that you're most people, particularly in my area, we mostly use propane to heat the heater and so we have a big propane tank outside and so what you're saying is that you can switch to this electrical system which will uh, basically save you money because based on that heating that efficiency i imagine the traditional hvac systems with the propane heater are pretty inefficient is that accurate
1: yeah it honestly depends on what you are basing against compared to a heat pump absolutely Mm. uh a traditional furnace or traditional propane an older one they were around 80 percent efficient the new ones get up to about ninety five percent, to be totally honest. Mm. But ninety five percent is still dramatically less than four hundred percent. Yeah, interesting.
0: Okay, and then and then you've got the heat pump itself, which basically I would like to love to talk about the seasons because essentially what you're talking about is not only heating the home, but is it
1: also cooling the home in winter? Yeah, so that's the other really. Amazing thing about heat pumps. It's one device. It just takes care of heating and cooling. So it's all today most people have two separate systems to heat and cool and a lot of people only have heating and they don't have cooling at all of any kind. So they're also tend to be more reliable because they're just simpler because you only have one thing you don't have two separate systems you have to maintain.
0: And that's where I am and I actually realized that we actually so we have a I have an AC, I have a and I have a heat pump upstairs and it was just developed in the 80s. But it somehow works together with the HVAC system, with the heating, which is on the primer, this, the first floor. And it's somehow both of them work together. Super interested. And so for me as a consumer, what is Quilt? Is it something I can buy right now?
1: Not yet. You do have a wait list you can join though. So if you go to Quilt.com, very simple domain, Quilt.com, we'll get our wait list. And then we will be in 2024, coming up on the end of twenty three. So it's not really that far away. We will be actually starting to sell these, put them in homes and announcing all our product details uh, next year. Very cool. We're, uh, we're well on our way. We already have real homes running Quilt and we have a beta program that's already in flight.
0: Cool. So it sounds like somewhere on the timeline for me. Um, I'm excited about that. Um, okay. So let's go into the business aspects of it. How did you get into Quilt and what have been the big you've learned as you maybe enter this hardware world, maybe you already had experience in the hardware world, but what have you learned so far?
1: Okay, so there's a few different questions in there, but no, I did not have experience in the hardware world. Just to be to, to come at that, the way I got into quilt was so I spent most of my life in technology, and I've I've done technology entrepreneurship. I was most recently at Google, and I was a partner on the Area 120 team, which is a sort of an investment fund within Google. Mm-hmm. And so I was in this really unique position where I got to invest in ideas and entrepreneurs within the Google ecosystem across the entire company, and that did get, get you exposed to one of the biggest companies in the world. So you get exposed to it's, a, it's an incredible depth and breath. So I meant to say breath, but there's depth there too. But anyway, the way I got into Quilt was I'd been looking for what my next startup was going to be for a while. And I had made a commitment to myself that I was only going to do a startup if I was going to commit at least 10 years of my life to it when I started. I've done startups in the past. My last one, I was a CEO for six years. And I, I realized after that I left early. Like it takes a long time to build a great company. And you only get so many decades in your life. And I had this really great job at Google. And if I was going to leave to be committed to something for 10 years, I needed an extremely high level of conviction. And it took me time to get to what became Quilt. The way I got to it is I realized the, the unlock for me to get to that level of conviction was I, it sounds almost trite to say, but it was a hundred percent true. I had just, what I'm about to say is it hit me while I was on paternity leave. So I literally had like, like i was taking care of a newborn. And I realized I had to work on whatever I thought was the biggest problem impacting the future generation. And that I just had this sort of overwhelming sense of responsibility to provide in some way, any way that I could be part of it, providing a better world for this kid that I just brought into the world with my wife. And, and it occurred to me that, okay, you got to find out what that problem is and try to take whatever skills I've built in my life to be able to apply against that problem. And that problem is clearly climate change today. If you just look at contenders, what's the biggest problem on earth? And you're trying to maximize the number of human lives will be impacted. There's other really big problems. You could imagine World War III. That could be really bad. But we don't have good conviction bars around it. We don't really have a lot of predictability. So you have your level of conviction multiplied by the number of lives impacted and the magnitude of that impact. There's really no other competitor. And then the other part of it is like, for me, so I'm from a place of the world where fossil fuels is really the only industry there. So it's a really dominant driver. Most people in my family worked for oil companies. And my dad was the CEO of an energy company. And so I just feel also like a multi-generational responsibility to be part of fixing the problem. And so the way I got to Quilt is I was just looking for the biggest possible chunk of that problem where I felt like I could build a world-class team and I had some relevant skill set. I wasn't going to start the Fusion company. If somebody breaks Fusion, that's going to be incredible for climate change. It's going to, you know, leap humanity forward. I didn't feel like I could be a world-class Fusion CEO given where I was. But I knew that I could build a world-class consumer technology company. Uh, I was, you know, coming from Google, I've worked with really, truly some of the best people in the world when it comes to consumer technology. And even though I hadn't done hardware before, I wasn't really that intimidated about that side of it so much because I knew I could find really great co-founders who, and I do, I have our CTO, my my co-founder, Matt, is like world-class hardware leader. So I knew he could bring that to the table. And what I had to bring was my side, which was the product management and design and, and fundraising and strategy and stuff that I had been doing my whole life. And so if I could assemble a team that had all those big pieces accounted for, then we could do, we could take a swing. And so that's how I got to Quill. And the problems we saw was that the hardware on the market and the software, like the whole product ecosystem is amazing on paper for the reasons I just told you. this 400% efficiency and everything else. But in practice, there's a lot left to be done. It, the, the products feel like they were designed about 20, 30 years ago. In many cases, they were. And so it doesn't feel like an upgrade. That's the problem. And if you think about the EV transition, there was an inflection point. And that inflection point was the Model S, the Tesla Model S. Cause it, and it was the first EV that wasn't a compromise. If you page back before a Model S, you'll find a bunch of electric vehicles that asked people to compromise. There wasn't good charging networks. They were slow. They weren't very cool looking. And you were supposed to buy them because they were going to be good for the planet. And a few people really cared and bought the cars, but of only a very few people. The Model S was sold completely differently. It was as fast as a Ferrari, literally. And it was just darn, it was, it was just a really cool car. And it had this better way of buying it. You could just get enough to go negotiate with a car salesman. You could just go buy, if you could afford it, you could buy it. And then they built the supercharging network. and made it a delight to own. And the whole thing was just thought about in this way. It's not about pushing electric vehicles on people. It's how do we like create just a fundamentally better ownership experience for vehicles and have that be electric? And that's where we are right now on the heat pump side, where we're in that sort of like green Model S equivalent, where we have these products that are great on paper. And of course, the the reason they were able to build the Model S is the core technologies had matured to the point where you could build that car. But that maturation had to happen first. And it happened a little bit under the radar, but the batteries got there and everything got there. So That's where we are in heat pumps. The core technologies are there. Like they work great, but nobody's put those technologies together into a really compelling product and ownership experience and so that's what quilt is doing we're building a really beautiful really nice to buy system that has all the upsides of a central system and all the upsides of this other type of system that isn't super familiar in the u.s called ductless systems mm-hmm. which is when you have a a basically a, a, it's called a head unit or a little piece in every room that can individually add heating or cooling mm-hmm. um and so we do that but we but there's usually a bunch of downsides with that and we've eliminated those mm-hmm. together of both worlds
0: Okay, so that's really interesting. That brings it back to the me as the consumer type of thing. So to install this unit into my house, I, and I'm not familiar enough with how my system is set up right now, I imagine that there's ducts into each of those different things. What is the yes. install like in order to install it into a 3,000-square-foot house?
1: Yeah, so let me, yeah, so the, the typical home in America today has ducts, right? Central for, for a long time, for most of the 20th century. Or later 20th century, sort of central heating, central air is almost like mm-hmm. a, a status symbol in, in, the, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That's actually pretty different for most of the world. Most mm-hmm. of the world does not have central ducted systems. And central is nice because um, it's not very visible for one, right? You just have these really like sleek vents. And that's in contrast to the other systems where you have like traditionally large white plastic boxes all over your house. And there's a certain luxury to it in terms of you have this one control and you have this big sort of house so you can keep warm and cool. But it was designed in a very like lossy mindset, a old generation mindset. So some examples of that, ducts themselves take up a bunch of space. The furnace takes up a bunch of space, right? Like you need to have dry walls and and, and things like that. And that's why a lot of the worlds don't have it. Okay. But that's maybe a bigger example is that ducts are very lossy and meaning 30% of all the energy created, even when they're well insulated, it'll get down to still 20%. Is this energy lost in the ducting? So if you're creating a hundred units of heat, only good case scenario, new, you yeah, know, insulated ducts, you'll get 80 of those units in your home. And it was also designed in a world where they could make really hot air at the furnace and, it, and they know it will cool down in the vents. So it, it's made in the furnace. It comes out around 180, 190 degrees Fahrenheit. That's really hot, right? That'll like scald you, but it'll, but it cools down in the ducts. And it comes into the home at about 120, 110. Heat pumps produce the air comes out of them at about that temperature, 110, 120. So what you find happen is that people will be putting in a central heat pump using their existing ducting and then they have bad experiences because it turns out now by the time the air gets to the home, it's only 80 or 90 and it's taking longer to heat the home or doesn't even heat it all properly. And that's a really bad situation because we want people to move forward to these things so they can't be having these bad experiences. The other problem with central weather, you've probably experienced this, but you almost always have this issue of fighting over the thermostat, right? Like some rooms will get more heat than others or more cooling and some situations really make this worse, like babies actually. People get really worried about the temperature in the baby's room. And so they'll keep that one comfortable and they're either sweating or or freezing in their bedroom or their office. Uh, And so this idea of uneven cooling is pervasive with all central home um, uh, homeowners. So the way a system like Quilt works is that we have small units in every room that all network. And so you can control them as a single central system like you would, but you get granular control. So you can set that baby's temperature to one room and you know it's always going to be at that temperature because we can actually read the temperature and directly control it in only that room. And in your bedroom, you can do the same thing. And then all the other rooms in your house that nobody are in, they don't have to be running. So you get so much more efficiency because the central system treats the whole house as a single volume, right? So think about this. The coldest time of the whole year I'm going to use a heating center now, right? It's the coldest time of the whole year. Wh- when is that? Like, when is just the coldest time of the year? January. Yeah. And physically, the nighttime, right? So it's yeah. the winter and it's nighttime. In nighttime, generally people are sleeping in their bedrooms. The largest rooms in their home, their living room, their kitchen are empty and they're being heated, even though there's nobody there. So that energy is just gone. It's just wasted. And that, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not even talking about ducting energy now, uh, lost. I'm talking about just the fact that you're heating rooms that are occupied. Okay, When you're able to do room by room control, you basically like eliminate the two biggest problems of central, which is these, what I'm saying, fighting over the thermostat, every room is a little bit off and, and that's uncomfortable. And then the other problem is this crazy inefficiency that you get from the two factors I mentioned, ducting and the fact that you're treating the whole house as if it's always occupied. But most of the house, most of the time, it's unoccupied. And and so you see, and, and 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 that actually has nothing to do with heat pump efficiency. That's just inherent to the nature of being central. Sorry, I feel like I went off a little off topic, nope. but and definitely implement. later.
0: Yeah. And so how does it how do you actually install it to get into this ductless thing? Uh, so you need to actually get it, pump it into each of these different rooms. Does yeah, that,
1: sorry, that was the actual question you you asked. Yeah. So it's actually pretty easy to install. It's much easier than if you have to redo your ducting because you don't have to get behind the drywall. So you put the device, a quilt device, or if you want to look at an analogy, you could Google ductless mini split or a mini split. Mm-hmm. pump. The ones you'll find won't be very attractive, by the way, which mm-hmm. is why, why quilt is existing. But uh, imagine that, but smaller, sleeker. That's what we're building. They go in every room and they generally go high up on the wall, close to the ceiling. That has a bunch of nice characteristics. So it's out of the way from furniture and stuff. So it's just a good place to put it. It also gets a good, nice access to mixed air in the room. And then the insulation is, you bolt that on one side of the wall, and then you drill a hole through it that's maybe an inch in diameter. So it's, again, much, much smaller than a duct. And that will go through to the outside that then has conduits that will run to the external part of the heat pump, which is a big fan. If just like any AC you've seen, that'll basically be what it looks like outdoors. And the basic idea here is you're moving energy around as opposed to air. So there's small copper tubing as opposed to a large fan. And for that reason, it's much easier to install. A typical whole home ductless system, if you're doing every room in the house, will be like maybe a two-day job, right? It's not, we're not talking about like massive, and sometimes it can be done in one day. So it's not, it's really not like a redoing your kitchen or something.
0: That's super interesting. Okay. And so you have these small holes and then they're in. So when you said that. Uh, the small hole in each of the rooms, does that then go up to the roof where there's a, a, a unit on the an, roof? An outdoor oh. unit.
1: Yeah. In AC terminology, they usually call it a condenser. Uh-huh. Strictly speaking, heat pumps, they alternate between being the condenser and evaporator. So we just call it the outdoor unit. After. Uh, yeah. So it can be on the ceiling. It can be out. It can be mounted against the side of the wall. It's often just on a pad behind the house. And then there's also a question of how many of those you have, which is a bit of a technicality, but if you want to minimize the sort of visible real estate outdoors of which the outdoor unit is taking, you'd want to have Mm. one of those powering, say the six heads you have in your home. Mm. Uh, But there are some trade-offs there. You actually get still better efficiency and better control if you have some more outdoor units that are each controlling a smaller number of indoor heads Mm -hmm. and the software network them all together. So so it all works as if they were connected to one. I will get into those technicalities, but yeah, Yeah, sure. uh, I have
0: a a super interesting... Okay,
1: basically the copper piping goes to an outdoor unit or multiple outdoor units. Yeah, got it. Those can be on the roof or in the garden or on the side of the house or whatever, wherever it's most convenient. Interesting.
0: Okay, this is so cool. So you're you're re-engineering the the whole house system to basically be cheaper and to have more efficiency. And then you have the software networking it together. And that software sounds really interesting because it doesn't seem like any of the other providers that I've seen so far are taking this approach where you can actually all integrate it, I assume, into your phone. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I think the the, the phone is one element in that it's a user interface point. And and that's very important. And you're right. A lot of the systems today in the market don't offer that. Or even if they do, it's, I'm trying to say this politely, but it might not be up to the quality you're used to from traditional Silicon Valley apps. And uh, so that's one element. but I think the, the maybe more important element is the, how they all work together mm. and how that again, drives more efficiency and comfort. So like the two value propositions, we just try to hammer those it's comfort. You're gonna be more comfortable with Quilt and efficiency. And then I think about efficiency it's very measurable too. So people can independently test all this. And the way that the software drives efficiency with Quilt is that, like I mentioned, they, get, they network. So we can learn properties of the That's whole cool. home and actually share that across the devices. And so you can learn interactions between rooms. You can learn, you can thermal model the room. Um, one of the big advantages of doing both the hardware and the software is we get to choose and have really close, low level controls with the sensors that are on the device. So we can get really great thermal modeling because we have the sensors. And then in the software, we can create the machine learning models and, and, and create user interfaces and all that. Um, versus say we're purely a software company, try to build sort of an, an interface to these existing systems. We wouldn't have that level of access or control. We would not get to decide what's on the hardware. And it just makes it harder to do the job. So yeah, so, so our software is, I think, the, the biggest gist of it is, is why if you come to our, go to our website, you'll see we talk about AI. Uh-huh. AI, large learning model, chat GPT model. But it is very much AI because what we are doing is we are allowing the system to learn about all the thermal characteristics of the home. Like when does the sun hit the window? How does that impact it? The sun's about to hit the window. I don't have to run the heat pump as hot because I'm going to get a bunch of preheat through the window. So all these types of things the system will learn and then dr- again, use that to drive efficiency and comfort. And, and that's actually probably like most of our IP, our intellectual property mm. is actually probably at the software level.
0: And it seems like you're, you, so with this one aspect of the house that you're owning in terms of the heating and the cooling, it's giving you this ability to map out that electrical system on that end in a vertical fashion where you own the entire infrastructure around that, but then it also seems like in the future, you could clearly go out into other sectors that are like similar to this. I'll, I'll give an example. I've been trying to monitor my energy usage in my home. I've got two units on the property and I want to figure out how much electricity is being used on each one so that I can accurately charge the right amount of electricity for each of the renters. Is this something that you're thinking about as well? Is not only this because Partic- there's so many things that go into a home. Uh, there's so many things that go into a home that you can essentially yep. improve upon in this day and age. Is this, are you going to stay in this vertical or are you thinking of re- reaching out as well?
1: Yeah, I'll give you an indirect answer. Mm-hmm. And that is that heating and cooling I, I, is, is way bigger than most people realize. So if you look at all energy in the home, think of everything from your fridge to your EV charger to your whatever. It, over, about over 50% of all that energy is just the HVAC system. So number two is already like a fraction of that. And so it's by far the largest lever to start with. Also, basically every building in the world, every powered building in the world has an HVAC system. Mm -hmm. So it is beyond a big market in the sense that you're talking about like basically every building in existence. And of course, there are some exceptions to that, but certainly in the developed world, the vast majority of buildings. And if you think, but one of the lenses, I think back to going beyond the HVAC system to your question of is. If you're familiar with this framework called jobs to be done, that's kind of, but let me just tell you the gist of it is that when you buy a product or when you use a tool of any kind, you're essentially hiring it to do a job for you. So I have a coffee mug right here. The job that coffee mug, I'm essentially paying it when I buy it to keep my coffee warm and keep it in one place that I can put it into my body. And then of course I'm, I'm paying the coffee to make me stay (laughs) awake. And if you think back to the, what are the jobs to be done of a home mm. and get back to the essence of what a home is. I like to go back to like prehistoric time. What did cave people living in a cave? Why did they move into the cave? What was the job? And there's really at the core of it, two jobs to be done of a home to keep you warm and safe. And those are the two, right? So it's basically, keep like you warm shelter and keep you safe? Then there's other things too, of course. Right. But at the end of the day, shelter, this idea of shelter would protect you from the elements and keeps you warm or cool on the circumstance is the most basic courted job to be done of a home. And so you can there are much more there, there are more jobs to be done if you think about it. Like people use it to cook their food, the people use it to take care of their family, give them identity, give them, like I said, safety is a big one, right? Whether you're from the mountain lines or from whoever it is, it's like you today. then the reason I mentioned all this is you start from sort of those first principles of what are the jobs to be done of a home. Then you start thinking about given the world of technology that exists today, mm-hmm. if we were to design the best possible solution to that or the best possible way to serve that job, what would it look like? And it turns out most of the home is still working in like a 20th century model and hasn't really been impacted by technology. So what I mean is like the smart home moment movements in the last few decades have been a thin veneer, right? They've been like, add this like smart puck so you can talk to turn your lights on and off. Or even the Nest thermostat, which I think Nest is probably the most successful yeah. uh, smart home product, certainly in the AA track category. At the end of the day, with a controller over traditional furnaces and, and ACs. Those lower level systems weren't impacted. And for that reason, Nest can't do what Quilts is doing because it doesn't have insight into that level of data because there's no data collection. There's no integration. The, our sort of like philosophy around this is there's sort of two, co- two components, but from this angle, Where is the biggest opportunity to deliver the core value of a home, leveraging modern, the truly modern technology? And if we are almost to start with a blank slate, how would we design it? And then the intersection of that with energy use and sustainable living, because we also think the energy transition is going to define this era that we're living in. Like people lived in the Renaissance, people lived in the Industrial Revolution. We are going to say we lived in the energy transition, or at least the historians when they look back at this era. And. A big part of that is at the home, and that means getting off fuels and then the energy we do use, somebody's producing on site and somebody's just using it more sustainably. So HVAC, like I said, it's the biggest place to do that. Core job to be done and the biggest energy user. So bang in the bullseye, both those dimensions. Water is another really big one, right? So that's the other big fuel consumer. It's number two after HVAC, keeping water hot. Yeah. But Think about the water system today in most homes. It is very mid-20th century. Like, why doesn't my phone tell me the water pressure and bead and t- of every tap of my, in my house. Why can't I see the temperature coming out in like my kid's bathroom and make sure that I can set that to a limit so that it never goes above 95 so my kid can't burn himself. But in the kitchen, I'll have it be hotter because I want it to be hotter. Like, Why can't I do all that? Why can't I do that through my phone? And that's a good example of another system where at the intersection of energy and jobs to be done, where we feel like we could really help modernize a core system of the home. So I think water generally thinking, generally speaking, but also has maybe a good adjacency. And then you you go on from there. Mm.
0: Very interesting. And yeah, it reminds me of the atoms versus bit, bits innovation. The fact that so much of the last 20 to 30 years of technological innovation has been in the realm of uh, uh, bits. Uh, but if you go back to the 1960s or even the 1880s, all the way to the 1960s, All of the innovation in that era was around atoms. So how to like chemistry and uh, nuclear power and uh, all these different things that were innovative, like an airplane. An airplane was just like a giant innovation. And then sitting in these homes, as you've been saying, that are all technology that's very old. And now we've got all this software that we could apply to these different problems, but we don't have them. And I think a lot of it is because just the problem is so complex and the houses have already been built. So, so many of the houses are already built and so you're already on this foundation of uh, previous technology and how do you integrate that technology? And it's very interesting. It almost brings us back to the, to the hardware problem. Cause I'd love to understand the, cause from what you said already, I, there is the outdoor unit, the copper wires, the, the inter in the room unit. And then I assume that you have an app, which is more on the software angle. Can you talk more about this hardware and the kind of like biggest things you've learned so far as you've started to build
1: hardware? Do you mean, like me personally, as a newbie to hardware or about HVAC or like what dimension of the process I mean, well, just really, I, yeah,
0: any I, any, I guess I'd be very curious to hear you as an as an entrepreneur getting into this. There's like all the problems that go into building hardware.
1: These systems are so complex, meaning there's the whole refrigeration cycle side of it. So you have to be good at. Knowing all the physics of compressors and heat exchanging and all, all that type of stuff. But then there's all the electronic side. And we have sensors on this device that you would be more familiar in an iPhone than they'd be in a traditional HVAC system. And that's a different skill set in terms of both the engineering designing of it, but now the actual manufacturing designing of it. How do you build a line that produces? Where do you source your supply chain? All that. So we had to go to the, where are the pools of talent where, you know, people today are still designing both. HVAC systems and electronic mm-hmm. contribution, I think, is the overall design, but then how it all comes together. And so we've broken up large components and found of world-class experts at those components.
0: That's so cool. That sounds like the Apple type of thing. It also reminds me, I interviewed the CEO of a company called Formic, and he was saying that, and he he's out in the Midwest and he's doing automation of robotics. Um, and so like robotics as a service, putting a, putting a robot inside of a company's supply chain, era inside of their manufacturing chain, and then just renting it out to them. And so something he, he had lived in Shenzhen for a long time. And he said, one of the most interesting things about Shenzhen, which used to exist in the United States was that if you're in Shenzhen, then you can go and find a market where they have all the the different centers that you could do. And you could build out a prototype just by knowing which market to go to. And that's something that used to exist in like in Ford's time in, in Detroit where that where it's not only the people thinking about these things but it's also the kind of all of those because you have all the people thinking about these things you also have all of the people who are selling and buying all these different things which is why i'm so interested in the hardware angle of this is just web 2.0 inside of the united states it's just all software it's all things that can be done like on your computer but then to go back into this world and i think a lot of innovation is moving back into this world of how do you build physical things and Yeah, I guess, what's your take on LLMs and this new form of AI and like, how does it, you talked about the machine learning embedded inside of your products. Well, what does your your product look like in a world that's on its way to superintelligence from AI? Can we talk about that control algorithms and machine learning? In what ways are they different than LLMs and like why, because artificial intelligence machine learning have been going on for so long and then they've recently entered the public consciousness because of these LLMs, but there's so much more to machine learning than just these LLMs. Can you go into a p- bit more about that specific use case, maybe within Quill or maybe not? with Yeah,
1: Quil? I'll talk a little bit more in the general. Uh, the way I think of it is AI is the broadest category. It's so the super category of artificial intelligence, which really just means ways to encode human logic or say logic patterns around problem solving in a computer. We had AI in the eighties It AI in the seventies is that if you could spell out a couple different decision trees and say, Hey, if you want to help me decide whether I should buy this product or that product, you can code that as a decision tree and show it as a prompt in a text field and just fall or start through a text interface. You can do that in the seventies or the eighties. AI is just a broad category of using computers to help you think and make human intelligence, that type of decisions, Mm -hmm. Uh, a subset of that. Is machine learning, and that's really where you're building models based off data. And two big categories there: supervised, unsupervised. The classic sort of machine learning categories is supervised learning, where you say this is the objective, and here's a bunch of data and how it correlates to that objective. So mm-hmm. you're training a model that whether classify a bunny from an alligator in an image, and you have a bunch of pictures of it. Say this but this is a bunny, this is an alligator, this bunny this is an alligator, and behind the scenes there's a model, there's a statistical model, and it gets updated with every new piece of data. And sorry if I'm going a little basic here, No, no that's great. the, the, um, the LLMs are a particular type of that model, right? They're very, they're basically a sophisticated statistical model that has been tuned to learn over longer patterns of text, shorter patterns of text. And then in, in interpret what's their trained generate these long character strings, which is ultimately text. And they have encoded all this logic and learning that they had in the model. But the reason I'm saying all this is that LMs are a subset of supervised learning, which itself is a subset of machine learning, which itself is a subset of AI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as it comes back to Quilt, when we talk about AI, I, I use it because I actually think it's the most general sense and you can do things that are a little bit more, a little bit more encoding logic and encoding expertise. And you could also do unsupervised learning, which is go figure out some stuff without even an objective and recognize patterns of data. And then you can do supervised learning, which is, like, Hey, we have a bunch of data from homes or whatever it is. And you can find some physical models there. So it basically gives us the latitude to use all these different strategies all towards those same goals I told you, which are efficiency and comfort. Mm. Um, so we're, we're not limiting ourselves to one domain. And actually LLMs our category, are a category are very narrow, right? It's a it's a, it's very much a subset of a subset, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. which makes me think because uh, LMs have captured the popular imagination, but I think the real core changes to society are going to probably be, be happening behind the scenes, either within development uh, schemes or just, or self-driving cars, all those things. Like you don't really see the, you don't interact with the self-driving car algorithm that's ingesting all of these picture data and video data and stuff like that. I think there's going to be a lot of things that really change behind the scenes that consumers won't really get to touch and interact in the same way that they will with ChatGPT, although that is also going to be a big one as well. Cool. So a few minutes left. Anything uh, we didn't talk about that you want to talk about?
1: I I think you've touched on a lot. I feel like I've got, I've maybe already dropped myself a plug, but if anyone is interested in Quilt, join the waitlist. It's free. It's on our website, Mm quilt.com will be coming out in middle of the next year, 2024. You can reach out to us online or we're going to start to have more of an online presence. And also just heat pumps are awesome. And so even if you don't end up working with, even you know, if Quilt is not the one you go with for whatever reason. People should all seriously consider getting off their fossil fuel systems. You're going to save money in the long run and you're going to have a more comfortable home. And it's just the right thing to do for the planet. I think maybe I'll just leave it with that.
0: Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop III. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or
1: iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.